Hi, this is Jerry Reynolds for Sacramento Electronic Supply, who has been servicing the Sacramento area's industrial electronic needs for over 75 years. Family owned and operated, Sacramento Electronics is a registered California small business that prides themselves on their customer service. Their showroom and warehouse are open to the public to browse. Whether you're looking for wire and cable, tools and testers, connectors or relays, Sacramento Electronics is open for you Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova. Or hey, visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelec.com and do it. Oh, another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro Who? Jim Bob Foley? Holy moly. Oh. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today... Writer for the Kings Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, we're getting closer to the NBA season. I can feel it. So things are going pretty good over here. Excited to talk about the Kings with you guys today. We are so very close. And we are so lucky today to have a very special guest. He's a fellow staff writer uh, over there at the Kings Herald. He's the king of bad food takes and an all-around rabble rouser, our friend, Tim Maxwell. Tim, how's it going today? Doing wonderfully, and I'm looking forward to uh, rousing some rabble today. <laughs> some rousing some rabbles for us. Uh, no, uh, we've got another rabble rouser in our midst today. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, the GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, the true pride of French Lick himself. It's Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, it's great to be with you guys and uh, great to be with Tim. I certainly have enjoyed his work uh, over the years. So, uh, you know, I try to make things as miserable as I can for him. Uh, <laughs> You'll be doing the Lord's work for all the fans that absolutely hate him out there. <laughs> That's Yes. <laughs> So guys, we're 16 days and counting until the start of training camp at the time of this recording. It's the, uh, we're only five weeks away from opening night and the, the beginning of the 2022-2023 season. Uh, as we do every year with the Kings Herald Group, we, uh, we roll through the month of September with something that we call 30Q. It's a feature where every day one of our writers asks the most pressing questions of the upcoming season, uh, our, our, our annual rush to mediocrity. It's a great way to build up the, to the start of the season and as such, it's a good way to kill some time get some educated opinions from you all both out there in the comments, as well as the brainiacs here with me today. So without further buildup and in no particular order, we're going to run through some of these questions today. Okay. All right. First one for you geniuses, who's going to be the one starting at shooting guard? Well, personally, now I'm, I know I'm way out in left field on this, but I'm just going to stay in left field. Uh, I think that the shooting card is Darren Fox. <laughs> and yeah, I always have, I think that's his best position. And I think the, uh, point guard really should be Davion Mitchell, but you know, that, that's my feeling is when you want your best, have your best team on the floor. I think that's the way it'll play out uh, much of the time. So why not start it? Jerry, is this, is this your closing lineup or is this more your starting lineup? You want to start off the bat with Davion at point guard, Fox at shooting guard. I want, I think you should put your best players on the floor. Sure. And I, and I really think you know, in today's game, and I know a lot of the fans out there will disagree, and they'll say, well, you can't play that small a lineup. 
or small guards as a starting lineup. And I would say, well, did you not watch uh, Kyle Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet win a national a world champion? Uh, I mean, there's been, obviously you can play Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, uh, obviously uh, were the starting guards, you know, on the, the team with the best record two years ago. Uh, so, and they're, and that's, they're not bigger at all. Sure. <laughs> so I'm just saying, if, if that's your best guard line, and I think it is, especially when you say, or you've said you want to improve your defense. Well, one of the ways, and I know I'm old fashioned, one of the ways to improve your defense is get your best defender out there. <laughs> that's a, that's a novel approach, Jerry. I know it may not catch on, <laughs> but that's just my thought on it. Sure. Tim, what do you think? Well, I think that's an interesting concept. Um, to your point, Jerry, Davion Mitchell is not just your best defender. He might be your only defender in that, in that group. So uh, I, I think the difficulty with that would be, you know, who's playing backup or are you swapping positions or, you know, the Kings would need some more ball handlers. But for me personally, I'd probably start Kevin Herter at, at shooting guard. Um, I, I might actually even slot him at small forward um, and, and bring Barnes off the bench, but maybe that's getting a little bit outside the question. So for me, Herter is definitely in starting lineup, good shooter, uh, he's, he's played some okay defense. I, I wouldn't say he's a good shut, you know, he's not a shutdown defender. He's not going to lock anyone up, but he's, he's proven he can play some team defense. So for me, um, he's a little bit bigger as well. He's six, seven with a six, seven wingspan. I think that would be some nice size next to De'Aaron Fox as well. Um, as, as we all know, De'Aaron Fox hasn't proven himself to be the world's greatest, uh, ball stopper on defense. So I would go with Kevin Harder. Tony, what about you? I was going to, uh, support Davion Mitchell in the starting lineup at whatever position you want to call him. Um, but since Jerry kind of took that answer and I was surprised anyone else kind of thought that Davion should be the starter, but I, I guess I feel better knowing that Jerry supports that position too. I do think like, that's who I, I guess I would want to start as Davion. I do think that Malik Monk is going to start um, for a variety of reasons, but one of them being it was interesting and I guess kind of surprising that the Kings were able to land Malik Monk. At least that was my thought, especially for the price they got him. It seemed like there could have been other offers out there for him in that price range. And I do think that maybe there was some uh, negotiating that he would have a chance to get a bigger role and a starting position in Sacramento next to the Aaron Fox. That's obviously Fox's guy. So might not be what I want to happen, but I do think that Monk is going to be the starter at least, uh, at least from night one. Jerry, I'm curious if if you start at Fox at a at shooting guard, do you you open up the same can of worms as last year with Tyrese starting at at point guard? I don't think so because uh, I, I mean I think Davion's a, probably an easier uh, fit and complement uh, to to De'Aaron. Now you know time would tell on that, but but I, I think uh, you know certainly with the addition of Sabonis, you're taking the ball out of De'Aaron's hands a good bit anyway. And, and so I think as much as anything, you're doing it to get a, a better defender on the floor. And, and I, I have no problem with the Kevin Herter. I, I think, you know, I think he's the guy I like is coming off the bench because he'd be the first guy to play three positions almost and, you know, get, get 35 minutes that way. But, uh, but I just think, uh, you know, just to start the game with a stronger defensive crew on the floor and uh, you know, I, that, that's why, I, and yeah, I, I don't see the same problem because, you know, I think that uh, Fox and really, and that was really before the Sabonis was there, uh, they, you know, they didn't really complement each other because they both really kind of needed the ball to, to kind of do what they wanted. And, and uh, I think with Sabonis, uh, you know, Davion's not a great playmaker himself. He's, a, he's, a, he's probably a little better playmaker than Fox, I think, but uh 
I think between the two of them, uh, Sabonis is going to be your primary playmaker. I think when it really comes into the half court game anyway. So anyway, sure. uh, you know, at the bottom line is the Kings. The good point is that as Tim and, and we've, we've talked about already is there's some nice options, whether it's Malik Monk or Kevin Herter. I, I, I think both those guys are capable of being starters. Uh, and you might even want to play Herter as a starting small forward. Uh, and maybe bring uh, Harrison Barnes off the bench and uh, at two spots. I, I wouldn't be scared to think that way, to be honest with you. Absolutely. So this question kind of rolls into it. This That first question was asked by Aki's. Um, uh, the second one was written by Greg. Um, can Davion Mitchell be a consistent scorer? And, and I'll add to that, will he be a consistent scorer this year? I think he, oh, he can be. Uh, will he be? Well, we don't know. Uh, I mean, certainly what we do know, I think, is that he got better as the year went on. Now, we also, most of us over 12 years old, know that the last 30, 40 games means a lot less and, and, and it becomes stat time. But, but I, I do think Davion, his work ethic is, is there. You know, his, his shooting got better. Uh, great competitor, truly great competitor. Uh, uh, so I think he, you know, whatever ability he has, he'll maximize it. And I think for a rookie, you saw everything you wanted to see in a rookie. He got better as the year went. And so, yeah, could he be a 12, 14 point a game guy on 45% shooting on twos and 35 or better from three and 70 from free throw line? Sure. I, I believe he can do that. Tim, what do you think about this? Like Jerry said, he can. Um, a lot of what Jerry mentioned as well with it being the latter half of the season with the kind of uptick in production. We also saw a lot of the production increase with Fox when Fox was out. So that's just another layer to this is, uh, you know, Fox played really well when he was kind of the guy with the ball in his hands. Tyrese played really well with the, with the ball in his hands and Davion played really well with the ball in his hands. Tyrese is obviously out of the picture now. So can Davion find a way to uh, create some synergy between him and Fox? I think it can happen. Um, the good news is since they both can play point guard and I think they both can play off the ball a little bit, you can, you can have them on and off the floor, kind of shift them back and forth. So I, I think it's possible The probably the biggest question for him is three point shooting. We saw him early in the season, really struggle from deep, even though he was great in college and then later, later in the season, just like everything else, it picked way up. So if he can consistently knock down the three ball, I think that's going to open up driving lanes for him, and then you'll become a much more fluid scorer. So that's my big question is really, can he knock down those three balls with consistency? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add there. Um, it's going to come down to how he and Fox play together. I, I believe in Davion Mitchell, though. I would say, like, in a general sense, I think he's a, going to be a very good NBA player. I think he could even be an all-star. Like, I, I think that's in his ceiling i don't know if he'll reach it but it will be hard as we've seen with other guards in the past to do it while the aaron fox is here so uh yeah to echo everyone else's point it it entirely comes down to how he and fox play together if they can play together and i guess the good news is i do think and i've kind of said this a few times on the podcast before i do think this is is maybe the last year where we'll be playing this game with the Aaron Fox of can this other guard also be good with him? I think one way or the other, we're going to, we're going to figure out, you know, who De'Aaron Fox is, if he's good enough by himself to take this team into the playoffs. Um, if he can 
be effective enough off the ball that another guard who may or may not be better than him can also be effective at the same time. I think all those questions with him will be answered this year and, and either he'll be on the Kings for a while after that, cause it works out or it doesn't work out. And the Kings eventually move on from, from him being their kind of lead ball handler. Yeah. I'm curious. Tim mentioned the, uh, the fact that, uh, that there was a drop off in three point percentage for, for Davion from his last year in college to his first year in the NBA for somebody who's such an old rookie. I mean, he's 24 years old going in as a sophomore now. Is there any concern about that just not translating in general in his career? Or do you feel like he still has time to make sure he, I mean, he's not going to shoot 44 and a half percent like he did in colleges last year, but that he can become a 36% three point shooter. Is there any concern for that because of his age? Well, not because of his age. I think just a, a more getting a, enough good shots. I think he's a small guy who uh, early in the year, I thought uh, defenders were able to rush him a little bit and, and get to his shot or, or uh, challenge his shot a little better as the year went along. I think he was able to figure out where his shots would come from better. Uh, you know, was better as scape dribble to, to where he creates a little more space for himself. So I think it's all part of the process, but uh, I, I guess I would go back to one thing. I like his stroke. His ball looks pretty good. I, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, confusing with Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, but I don't know why he can't be a 35 to 37% guy in a reasonable time frame. I think most of it is, is taking better shots. And I think as a starter or playing uh, minutes with Fox and with Sabonis, I think he's going to, he's obviously the guy that won't, will be open. So, uh, you know, there, there's a, uh, and, and, and so it should make it a lot easier for him, if anything, than what he, what he had to do at the end of last year, where he really got quite a few of his three point shots off the dribble. And I think he'll, you know, to his credit, I think he's a better, better three point shooter spotted up. At least my eyes tell me that. And then I think the last thing I'd say about David, I, I think he, he'll have no problem playing off the ball. Uh, I mean, I think Sabonis makes all the difference. I really do. I mean, I think that that uh, Fox and if if they're out there together, or if Davion's with Kevin Herter uh, or Monk, I mean, I, I think all those guys really need to learn to play without the ball. And and certainly, if the Kings are going to be good, that's what has to happen. Tim, what do you think about a about a, a Sabonis being a difference maker for uh, for our boy Davion out there? Sabonis is the key to this whole thing working really it, it's he's he's the glue that's either going to keep this thing together or he's just the team is too you know separated you know it's like oil and water and they're not going to combine and it's not going to work out so I, I agree with that um Sabonis he can obviously run the offense he can score he's he I personally I think he's the king's best player so Sabonis on offense he offers a lot of relief um he's not just a safety valve but he can operate as the primary offensive catalyst and that's something the Kings haven't had before in De'Aaron Fox's tenure if you think about the five years Fox has been here who's who's his second best player aside from Sabonis Halliburton maybe I, I don't really know but not someone who's gonna generate that offense from the post and same thing with Davion Jerry mentioned Davion's um you know, shot quality, Sabonis can help you with that, right? And in fact, he's he's one of the best in the league at helping you with that because he can command a presence in the post and then he can kick out of the post, whether it's high post, low post, and get a guy a good shot. So Sabonis isn't just the key for Davion, although I, I agree with that. He's really the key for this, either this whole thing working or this entire thing blowing up and and the Kings turning another direction this coming off season. There, this, this question kind of leads into uh, what Tony was saying about it possibly being the last year that 
that Fox, that this, this stuff with Fox having to play with another guard kind of folds in. Tony, you wrote this question, and I'm going to alter it just slightly. You wrote, um, will De'Aaron Fox start the season strong? And I kind of want to also edit that to be, how strong of a start does De'Aaron Fox have to have for this team to be successful? For me, uh, it all comes down to me. I mean, I think he'll find a way to be fairly productive offensively. Now, I'd like for him to be more than fairly productive, uh, but but it's about defense and and kind of being able to play without the ball uh, more. Sure. You know, because my feeling with De'Aaron, if he's at his best or for this team, you know, he'd be a 22-point scorer maybe on about 16 shots and, uh, you know, and – and maybe maybe five assists on two turnovers that that type thing. And now those wouldn't be the numbers that that we've seen, but I think it'd be the numbers that the team needs if they want to get better because it would open up opportunities for others. And then the most important part, uh, be a factor defensively, you know, just absolutely. Uh, that be the in my mind. Mike Brown's greatest challenge is is to make sure uh, De'Aaron Fox is really focused in on his defensive responsibilities from the, at the start of the year and at the first minute of the game, if possible, because, and that's why I like Davion out there with him, because uh, one thing I think we know is Davion, uh, he plays every play on a team that has a bunch of guys that don't or haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, Tim, how, uh, how successful does Fox have to be at the start of the season in order to get this team going? I don't think the Kings are good enough to jump into a hole to start the season and dig their way out. I don't think that's their talent level doesn't really translate that to me. I think they are the ninth to 11th best team in the West. We know they're shooting probably for that play in spot. So for me personally, Fox, Sabonis, Barnes, your, your, your veteran leaders, if you will, they have to start strong. And Fox was not good at the start of last year. We don't know if, you know, there was medical things involved, but I mean, over the first quarter of the season, he averaged 20 points a game five and a half assists, three turnovers, 42, 43% from the floor, 25% from deep. That's not going to get it done. Um, so he can start strong and he has to start strong. There, there can't be this, and we've seen it in multiple seasons now where De'Aaron kind of works his way up to the, you know, the third quarter point of the season. He kind of flips a switch and then towards the end of the season flips another switch. Like I said at the start, the Kings aren't good enough to dig out of that hole. I don't, I don't believe they need to be hanging around that eighth, ninth seed the entire season and then as other teams fall off, injuries occur, trades happen, whatever it is, whether the Kings are improving that way, other teams are, are getting worse. That has to happen. Otherwise, I just I don't think we have the talent right now. The Kings have the talent to to have their guy. And I think Darren Fox is still look at, looked at as their guy to have their guy start slowly like he has been the last couple of seasons. Tony, you wrote it. Now you give us your opinion. Do you think uh, Darren Fox will start the season strong? And how strong of a season does it have to be? I don't think it has to be like incredible, but I thought there were, there were early season moments in both at least uh, last season and the one before that, where I don't want to say he actively hurt the team from winning, but he was not efficient for how much he had the ball. And it was sort of taking away from, from the Kings having a good season. So I don't think he needs to be as good as he closes seasons, but he needs to be good. He needs to be average Fox. He just can't be as bad as he's been. I, I looked up the numbers again um, on basketball reference and just like, and I, I remember it anecdotally from watching the team, the, the amount of threes he shot in the first two months of last season, just trying to kind of like work on that part of his game where, you know, the Kings are not at the stage where you can take developmental shots. Like you can't be experimenting this season. You can't just take threes. 
because you worked on it in the summertime and now you want to see if you can make it an NBA game and see if that's part of your thing. Uh, if you, you know, pick your spots from three, if you want to, but this is not, we are no longer in the developmental years. These are in the Fox needs to be the, his best version of himself for as long as he can right from the beginning. So I guess that's kind of what I'm looking for is uh, no more experimenting. If you're De'Aaron Fox at the beginning of the year, play every game, like it, like it's the end of the season and, and they matter. Uh, it, it is an 82 game season and it's a long season for a lot of other teams. And there are a lot of teams that can coast and try things and do this and that. The Kings are not that team. There's too much riding on this season. So my ask for him is not huge. You know, I don't need him to average 30. I don't need him to shoot 40% from three. I'm not even asking him personally to like play amazing defense. That'd be great, but it's just not something he's ever done before. All I'm asking for him to do is be the player that he's shown us. He's perfectly capable of being just doing it earlier in the year. So I don't think the bar is, is really that high for me anyways. He just can't, he can't be bad. And I thought there were early season moments in the last two years where he was actually, he was not very good. Um, so he has to be, he has to be a good basketball player. That, and that's the only kind of goal I'm putting on him. Tony mentioned that he didn't need to have, have Fox be who he was post all-star break in those 11 games after the all-star break that he played before he went down with an injury the guy was averaging 29, seven with a usage rate over 30. Tim, Jerry, do either of you guys expect those kinds of numbers out of Fox coming into this season? Well, I don't, uh, like I said earlier, I think for the team to be at their best, I don't think that would be uh, really the, the, the approach. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see a lot more productivity. And as Tony just pointed out, I mean, the, the probably the besides the defensive part, offensively, I thought that Fox at times really uh, searched for three-point shots. And this is a guy who shouldn't search for three-point shots, <laughs> should take them when open. Uh, you know, if he wants to search, it's for that stop and pop and drop at about 15 feet. He can get that. And he and 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 he can really create a lot of pressure and he can make it at a high rate. And, and that's what I'd say. That's the shot you search, uh, not the three pointer. Uh, and if you go from shooting four or five a game to two, uh, that's just fine. Uh, they, they got other guys that can yeah. shoot more of them. Tim, what about you? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I don't I don't need 30 and eight a game. That's that's crazy superstar high, high levels of production. I don't think that's a realistic ask of a guy that hasn't made an all-star team, right? I mean, so there needs to be some middle ground found between the start of last season, you know, 20 and five with three turnovers and 29 and eight on good three-point shooting. Those those are like the two extremes of the spectrum of Fox's production last season. We need to find that middle ground consistently. If you can find that middle ground consistently and there's going to be, you know, little peaks and valleys here and there, that's why they have DeMontis Sabonis to, to make up for those. That's why they increased their depth. That's why they got Mike Brown. So there's there's other factors at play here where Fox doesn't have to be a basketball god, right, to carry this team into the play to play in. He needs to be a consistent, very good basketball player. And and I think that's what Kings fans have been searching for for the last five years has been be consistent through an 82 game season, little peaks and valleys here and there, but don't have these big drop offs and, and mountains that you climb. That, that's where the Kings fall behind because there's these two large of dips. So consistent 25, 26 points a game. Give me six, seven assists. Average defense is all I need from you. And I'm a pretty happy camper. Jerry, I'm curious with the addition of Sabonis, do you think that Fox can keep that three point average that, that he had after the all-star break? He jumped from uh, just over 27% to just under 37%. I'm curious with Sabonis being the primary uh, playmaker there do you feel like fox is going to have a lot more open looks or is he going to mainly have to rely on himself again 
Oh, well, I think he'll get some more open looks. And like I said, I think more importantly, it's just a matter of being selective. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly I, I, I believe that uh, De'Aaron, if he'll be willing to give the ball up more and, and play off the ball more, uh, certainly his, his offensive opportunities uh, where he's uh, can be tremendously effective is in the open court, really pushing the ball and, and getting to those 10, 12 foot open shots, not looking for transition threes, look for transition 80% twos. Uh, that's where, where I would be, but yeah, I, I think uh, I'd be surprised if De'Aaron doesn't have a 35% plus uh, a three point shot going this year. And I think, but to me, most of it is by shooting less and shooting better quality ones. So his next question is from Brian. And again, I'm going to alter all these just a little bit to fit more of our discussion, but Ryan, Bryant wrote one on a can Keegan Murray win rookie of the year. And I'll continue this and ask, will he? And if you guys don't think so, then who do you think will win rookie of the year? Well, I, I think he's got a great chance. You know, it always comes down to getting to play. Uh, you know, I, I mean, that's that's what rookie of the year, and that's why a lot of times rookies of the year don't end up being uh, particularly special as years goes on because <laughs> they've played, they've gotten a lot of minutes. Uh, uh, Michael Carter-Williams comes to mind, our own Tyrese, uh, Tyreek Evans, uh, you know, not that it's his fault. Uh, and I mean, it's talent-wise it wasn't, but other things. But guys that uh, were rookies of the year because, you know, they wasn't, many guys in the draft or, or didn't get to play Mike Miller, another one, you know, so on that basis, and I know I'm kind of copping out here, but then I am pretty good at copping out. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think he's going to get minutes. He's an excellent young player who does one thing that voters pay attention to. He shoots the ball into the basket at, at high rates. And uh, you know, there's no doubt that Banchero or, or Smith are going to get a lot of minutes on bad teams. Uh, and so they'll have stats and, and, but you have to have stats and, 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 but I, I think it's, uh, it'll be between those three guys, uh, you know, as good as Ivy or some others, maybe they, they may not have the same opportunities for stats. And, and that's what, that's what it comes down to. I mean, they don't look at in the rookie of the year. It, it really very seldom is about winning. Uh, it's about stats. And so, so that's my long around way. Uh, uh, he had the stats uh, in the summer league and, you know, he was most valuable player in the summer league. So there you go. Tim, what about you? Is, uh, is Keegan Murray your rookie of the year favorite? I wouldn't call him a favorite. I'd call him top three. Um, I think it'll be Paolo Keegan. And then I think there'll be just somebody else. There's, there tends to be some guy that was drafted mid late first round, even second round that usually surges. I'm not going to pretend to be able to guess who that would be, but I think the the best thing that Keegan has going for him, there's two things. Number one, his play in college translated completely to his play in summer league, right? He was the same guy. I was a big Keegan fan uh, early in, early in the collegiate season and everything he did in college, he just went and did at summer league. And I think he's just going to be able to just kind of translate that again to the NBA. I don't think, you know, he's not going to put up 20 and eight or whatever it is, but um, I think that's really going for him. And then the other thing is he's such an easily insertable player into pretty much any lineup and any position at the, at the forward that the Kings will be able to play him a lot of minutes. This is not a specialized player where you're like, okay, only if we need this guy to do this one thing can we put him in the game. Keegan can rebound, he can shoot, 
He's got a little bit of team defense in him. He's obviously just like a coachable guy who will listen and adapt his game to whatever is being said. So for me, he's going to, as Jerry mentioned, he needed the minutes. He's going to have the minutes. I think he's going to have the production. Um, I wouldn't put him as a favorite to win. I think uh, Paolo in, in Orlando can really just wreck a lot of teams statistically. I think he's going to have the assist. I think he's going to have the flash that Keegan doesn't necessarily have. But I, I if if we advance a year and you tell me you're from now Keegan Murray won rookie of the year, I would not be shocked at all. So that, that's my confidence level in him. Tony, uh, Las Vegas has Paolo Bancaro at plus 180. Uh, and then the next line is uh, Keegan, Jabari Smith, and Jaden Ivey are all at plus 550. Are you are you sticking with Vegas or are you are you a betting man on uh, Keegan Murray? It's tough to predict Keegan, although I mean he has a great shot. I it's hard to not say Ben Caro. That that's who I would pick if you had to make any bet. Uh, for Keegan, it comes down to two things to me. Tim kind of mentioned opportunity. I do think he'll play a ton of minutes. I do think his his case for Rookie of the Year specifically goes way up if he's starting 82 games and the Kings are actually pretty decent. There is a, a reality where he doesn't start because the Kings have Harrison Barnes and they have. Uh, Kevin Herter, and that could be your front court with Sabonis, and then that makes the argument a little bit more murky, even though he, he will get minutes, but uh, rookie of the year voting does seem to favor uh, you know those starter starter minutes, so that could hurt him there. And then also, we haven't talked about it, and I hope we never have to talk about it again, but he did have an injury this summer. Um, based on photos the Kings have posted, it seems like he has no cast on his wrist, so hopefully he's all better there, but you just never know. Could that impact his shooting early in the season or could that slow him down in training camp or the preseason and get him off to a slow start? Maybe. Um, the fact that we haven't heard much about it makes me pretty optimistic that it won't be a problem, but it could. And if we're talking about who wins rookie of the year, that, that could be a factor in some, you know, when it's, when it's probably going to be a tight race anyways, who knows what little things could, could tip the scales in one, for one player or the other. Do any of you guys have a dark horse yet on uh, who your uh, rookie of the year would be if it's not any of those top four guys? I thought Matherin looked awesome in summer league and he will get opportunity and he can do a lot of uh, flashy, flashy plays there. So that's kind of who I'd put three behind Paulo and Keegan. Yeah, he was really good in summer league. I thought, you know, I mean, his athleticism is kind of jumps off at you. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know that I do. You know, it's just, you know, once we see five or six games, I think in the regular season, see who's playing. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's always so, such a tough part. I mean, and so anyway, I obviously, uh, you know, I mean, I just think the top draft boys picks all the top six, seven, eight guys are going to get the minutes unless they're just really disappointments. Sure. And uh, so we'll we'll see. Tim, no dark horses. Uh, Matherin probably would have been mine, but. Uh, Maybe Hardy since the Kings passed on him and it feels like those guys always do really well. So maybe it's just karma. <laughs> yeah. That might be it. Math, yeah. Math, Matherin is directly next in the odds out of the people that I've listed. And then I had one more and that was a uh, Tari Eason with, uh, with the Rockets who I think had a really good uh, summer league who's just kind of flashy enough and done enough other things that like he had some hype that got built up in summer league. He's, he's way down there. He's like plus 8,000 for any of you uh, gambling addicts out there. So, okay. So the next question is, um, this was written by Greg and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, explain this one a little bit. He wrote, uh, can Harrison Barnes bounce back? And one of the things that Greg mentioned wasn't necessarily that Barnes finished with, uh, anything lower in scoring. He he averaged more than the year before when we thought he had a really good year. His three point percentage went up slightly. Uh, he was down by a rebound and he was down by just about an assist a game. And what Greg meant is more psychologically with Barnes looking 
almost checked out for most of the season, uh, this being the final year in his contract, do you guys think that Harrison Barnes can bounce back to, to a, a previously the way either we'd seen him or the way he was playing prior to last season? Well, I'm, I'm pretty much a Harrison Barnes supporter. I, I mean, I think he is a pro's pro. Uh, I think he'll be as good as he can be. Uh, you know, I mean, as you pointed out, I think uh, going into last year, your contract has been my experience that if guys, <laughs> <laughs> if they're going to be at their best, surprisingly, that's when they are. Uh, and, and I mean, and I think Harrison would like to play several more years and he knows that probably would have one more chance at a pretty, pretty nice contract. And so just on that motivation alone and, and then, yeah. And I agree with you. I, I thought, you know, he did seem a little checked out at the end, but then again, you know, who wouldn't be, that's a, you know, with the experience that he's had and been seen what he's seen, it was, was not, it's tough, tough. Uh, that, not that it, you excuse it necessarily, but it, it's a little tougher for a veteran guy that's, been to the county fair and rode every ride sure. and uh, he has. And so I would expect Harrison, you know, I expect him to play very well. Uh, numbers probably, but they are, you know, he's, uh, you know, he does what he can do. I mean, he's not an all-star, not going to be. Uh, he's a guy that 20 teams in the league would like to have. Sure. And that's, and, and so here again, uh, hate to simplify things, but if 20 teams would like to have him, maybe the Kings ought to like to have him. Yeah, sure. Tim, uh, Tim, what do you think about Harrison Barnes' upcoming season? I think to your earlier point, Barnes, his offensive production was fine. Like, And I think Barnes actually showed some things last year that we haven't seen a lot of with a little bit of post-play, some Euro steps that he, that he worked in there. Like, There were some advancements to his game, which I was actually impressed with offensively because a lot of time you see a guy, Harrison Barnes was – 28, 29 last year, they're kind of themselves. And and Barnes added some offensive techniques into his game, which I thought was impressive. Um, defensively, I did think Barnes was checked out last year. Whether this was a team-wide um, kind of epidemic where he would just kind of joined in, whether this was a personal, some personal things going on, I don't know what it was. But uh, I don't think Barnes has ever been a great defender, especially in Sacramento. I think he's always been a solid team defender, um, actually similar to how I talked about Kevin Herter earlier. But uh, so league-wide, Barnes was statistically the worst on-off defender of anyone. The Kings were 6.7 points per 100 possessions better uh, defensively than with him off the floor. And I think the concerning thing about that factor was who was coming in for the game for him. You know, De'Aaron Fox was up there with one of the worst numbers too, but he has Davion Mitchell swapping out for him, who is literally one of the best point guard defenders in the league. Barnes had Metu and Lyles and whoever else you threw in there coming in who are not these brilliant defenders. So that's where I want to see improvement from Barnes. He's never put up those numbers before in his career. He's always been an average to blow average to slightly above average defender. So seeing him um, hopefully kind of buy into Mike Brown's defensive philosophy and making sure as a veteran leader, he's stepping in and saying, Hey, both sides of the court, I'm getting my all every possession. I think that's really important. I think that's something we've seen other Kings veterans do over the years where they're here for two, three, four years, they lose a bunch of games and they go, well, you know what? My personal contributions aren't really affecting anything here anyway. So hopefully the talent increase, the coaching talent increase for the Kings will kind of shift Barnes back into that other perspective of, Hey, I'm a guy here. I need to contribute. And that, that's really what I want to see from him is just more consistency on the defensive end. Tony, what about you? Yeah. To me, Harrison Barnes is like the most fine NBA player in the league. Like he's fine. He's, he's pretty good. He's, he's a, he's a 
pretty good basketball player. The problem is the Kings have needed him to be way more than that uh, for almost his entire run here. And that's why a lot of the blame from fans, I, myself included at, at times, did fall on Harrison Barnes because he's an NBA champion. All you hear about is how you know great he is behind the scenes. Everyone in Dallas talked about how great he is in the locker room. So you have this team in Sacramento that has really been a mess since he got here. Not his fault at all. But you do sort of lean on the veteran, lean on the NBA champion, lean on the guy who everyone says is is uh, this you know great character in the locker room. And you're like, ah, oh, we really need more out of this guy. And maybe he's just not that. Maybe he's just Harrison Barnes, who is a who's a pretty good basketball player. And I think for the first time in his run here, the Kings don't need him to be more than what he is. You've got Sabonis, who has shown some leadership qualities since he got here. You've got Davion Mitchell, who has a lot of leadership qualities, and now he's a year older, who hopefully has, you know, feels more empowered to take ownership of this team a little bit. You've raised the floor, I think, significantly with guys like Herter and uh monk you brought in keegan murray who seems like a a rookie who's going to be ready to contribute right away so harrison barnes we don't as a fans need to look for more from him anymore he can kind of just be the player who he probably just is and is meant to be and and i think that alone will kind of take some heat off him if there was any heat to begin with and now harrison barnes can kind of comfortably comfortably be who he is which is uh, a very good role player who can play some positions and, and you don't need much else from him this year. Whereas in seasons prior, um, he's just been an easy target because he's paid more. He's been around more. He's a veteran and, but he's, he's was not going to, you know, take this team into the playoffs by himself. And now there is no expectation that he should because the team is just a little bit better. Jerry mentioned 20 teams wanting Barnes on, on, on their team. Do you guys, uh, do any of you guys expect Barnes to be back in Sacramento this time next season? Well, I mean, for me, I would say probably at the trade deadline depends on what the team is doing. Sure. You know, I, I mean, I I think that if the team is really in the playoff hunt, uh, I would expect them to stay. Uh, and if not, if they struggle out of the gate and, and, and Harrison, you know, maybe isn't playing as well as you want or, or you know you need more, but he's the guy that they can trade uh, to try to make a deal. I mean, he's the, he's the asset that they can move. And so, you know, I, you know, I'm pretty sure he's figured all that out. Sure. And uh, I agree with, you know, what, what Tony has said and uh, Tim, I mean, but I think uh, one of the biggest problems I've seen with Harrison through his career is that he couldn't be what Dallas wanted him to be. Yeah. You know, they overpaid him hoping that would make him a, 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 a bell cow. Well, he wasn't, sure. and he really wasn't at North Carolina for sure. I mean, he's a, a, a a, a terrific fit in guy. I think he's a fourth or fifth guy. Yeah. And if you can, and that's why teams would like him around the league. If, if he can be your fifth or sixth guy, you can be awfully good. Sure. And, and really that that's been the problem with the Kings is they couldn't make him the yeah. fourth or fifth guy yeah. or sixth guy. <laughs> and so, so I think uh, I'm kind of on Tony's side there. I mean, I, I think that the, with what's happened, I think his role could be a lot more comfortable for him and and certainly better for the team on the flip hand on that jerry would it also mean like tony mentioned that we have enough talent on this team this or the kings have enough talent on on their team this season that barnes can finally be comfortable just doing what he does that we don't need him to to move it from 16 to 18 points a game in order to have a chance does that also work the opposite way where we could also be more comfortable as as a fan base with the kings trading him because they have other talent around now that they could replace him where 
It, Tony says he's fine. Could you take a drop in talent level uh, trading Harrison Barnes for something that might fit somewhere else better? Well, I, I, I could see trading him. I, I, I think, uh, to, but to trade him, I mean, it, it's because you think you're going to get somebody that ultimately will be better, might not have to be better the, the first week you have them, but before you're a little younger guy that you think can have with the upside and all can more than replace Harrison. And so, and I think you could probably do that. I think that deal probably is out there somewhere uh, will be if that's what they want to do. But I think it really comes down to if I'm Mike Brown and, and Monte McNair, if the team's going well, uh, he's not a guy you feel like, well, we got to get rid of him. Yeah. Why rock uh, the boat? You know, that, and and you probably have a good reason to believe you can resign him too. Uh, so so there's that if things are going well. So I, I just think a hey, thirty games in, we'll have a pretty good clue of just uh, how this mystery plays out. <laughs> and where are you on this mystery? Yeah, Barnes is your most flexible most flexible asset, I think. Um, from a from a contract perspective, from a talent perspective, from a win now perspective. Um, if if things are going well, you keep him. You consider re-signing him potentially um, or whatever your cap space is going to look like this summer. If things aren't going well, or even if things are going well, but a deal comes along where you think you can improve your team, whether that's through pure talent, through fit, through future perspective, whatever it is, Barnes is pretty easy to trade from a, you know, he's an expiring contract. He's a good player. He's not going to be a locker room problem. I think it is interesting that Monty McNair has set himself up to where and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the only two considered rotational players that are over 26 are Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes, who are the two most, li- most likely guys to get moved. I think if you do see them moved, you're going to see them traded for a player who is more in that 26, 25, 24 range. We've seen that with Monk, Herter, obviously Keegan Murray, Devon Mitchell, got Fox, uh, Sabonis, all of them. So that's that's where I sit with Barnes. Um, as Jerry said, you get 30 games in the year. You see you see where you're at. You also see where other teams are at. You know, you, you can't really, I don't think, I think it's hard to trade Harrison Barnes right now because everyone likes their roster because they all just assemble their rosters, right? All the GMs are happy with their roster to a certain extent, except maybe the Lakers and no one wants anything the Lakers are offering right now. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think you just kind of, you monitor it throughout the season. How is Barnes feeling about the team? How are we feeling about Barnes? How is the team doing? And then you just proceed from there. But he's a, he's a super flexible asset, which is a nice thing to have. Tony, what about you? Are you trading Harrison Barnes for the Lakers tomorrow? <laughs> Not the Lakers, because I don't want Russell Westbrook back. That would really tank the season <laughs> for me personally if he was, if he was around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it'll come down to how the Kings perform. If they, don't, if they underperform, I think keeping Harrison Barnes is pretty irresponsible from a general manager standpoint, because he probably will leave. Or you'll overpay a player who didn't really help make this team better clearly if they're in that position and and they're worse or if they're not very good and if they are decent like i kind of expect them to be in the playoff conversation in that you know eight to ten seed conversation and and race all year then they probably hold on to harrison barnes because if i'm the kings and i have a good thing going i would be very scared to trade what is a fairly significant piece you're talking about a starter a rotation level player a guy who's playing over 30 minutes a night um, so if, if you're the Kings and you finally find a puzzle that works after 16 years of, of having it not work, I'd be very scared and hesitant to trade that away. So that's how it'll go. I think the Kings performance will determine if Harrison Barnes is here or not. We're going to move into the front office a little bit here. Um, this will be a question that I'm, I'm super curious about Tim only because me and Tim have had to answer this question, maybe every mailbag for two years now. So um, Greg wrote this. It's uh and I'll, I'll again, I'll edit this, but uh, will Monty McNair got to co- get a contract extension? And 
I'll alter this to say, does Monty McNair deserve to get a contract extension? So, Jerry, I'll, we'll let you go first on this one, too. Will he get a contract extension? I, I kind of expect him to get a contract extension. I, I, I like what he's done. Uh, I think he's been clearly competent. Uh, now, uh, what could happen that he wouldn't get a contract extension is the team doesn't win a lot of games. I mean, uh, really, if the team doesn't make the play in, I don't think he will. You know, just, I mean, and I'm not saying that that's what mm -hmm. I do. I'm just saying that just, just on their, the, what we've seen with our own eyes sure. and all. Uh, so, uh, and, and then at some point too, I mean, if the team remains in 11th or let's say, uh, then you could make the cases, well, even though he's done some things we all like, it's like, well, if it doesn't, it really get you anywhere. Yeah. I mean, if it's only going to get you to 11th, then it's not like you're risking a, a lot either. Uh, just like with uh, Harrison Barnes as a players or different guys, there's a point where uh, they, 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 the, the main analytic I've always said is what's called the wins and the losses. And, uh, and I think that's, that's how it'll be evaluated. And I, and I, I've never, if uh, Vivek had wanted to give him a new contract, I'd had no problem with that, <clears throat> but I don't have a problem with uh, not getting one either for a while. I mean, it's, it's like, I'm not blaming Monty, but it, the team hasn't been exactly uh, spectacular uh, in his tenure. And I don't, well, I think he's done awfully a lot of good things, but it's, it's uh, tough to turn a bad team into a good one. And, and so far that hasn't happened. We're hopeful yeah. <laughs> that that's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Tim, what about you? What do you think about this? I'm not going to just read a mailbag answer that I've answered over the years. So that was my temptation. <laughs> uh, I don't think he deserves one today. If he got one today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out, but um, a lot of people have proposed and even people on our staff that we, you know, I've disagreed with of, Hey, line him up with Mike Brown's contract, right? Like, let's just, let's line everyone up. We, our GM and coach under Vivek have literally never been aligned except for when uh, he first owned the team. Right. So I, I understand it from that perspective, but, at the same time, I don't think McNair has proved enough to me personally to say, hey, let's double our risk, right? We already put out risk by giving Mike Brown a contract. Let's double our risk by lining up our GM there as well. So for me, I need the cool, the nice thing about management contracts in the NBA is the offseason versus on season doesn't matter. You can give an executive a contract extension at any time. So we can wait 40 games and say, hey, the Kings are five eight games under 500 nope we're done or we're in the playoff race hey this is good enough let's keep going there and the other thing about money is i don't think anyone is necessarily any other team is jumping at the bit to hire money mcnair next offseason if that makes sense so I, I don't think you're under any pressure from that circumstance either he is in the final season of his contract and that does make things a little bit awkward um and it is hard to have a guy making long-term decisions, like we saw him trade the pick this offseason, right? I think that was a good trade, but he's making long-term decisions and he doesn't have any long-term guarantees for his, his tenure with the team. So for me personally, I wouldn't give him a contract extension right now. Where does that threshold lie with me? The King, for me personally, they, they need to make the play-in and they need to make the play-in 
having found some success, not making the play on having playing, having won 35 games and everyone else just got injured. And, you know, there, there needs to be some serious progression here. When he took over the team, the Kings won at a pace of 36 wins. So I need significant progression for that after three years. Um, one of the things I think that's kind of um, been against money for me personally is we haven't found success yet. And he's tried to win every year to a certain extent. Maybe he hasn't gone all out like he did last trade deadline, but there wasn't this, you know, mini tank or, or mini reset and then powering up. This has always been trying to power up into the play-in every year. And for two consecutive years, we haven't seen that. So if we miss it for a third year, average gen, t, uh, GM tenure in the NBA is three years anyway. So it's it's kind of a, a nice cutting off point. So I'm, I'm fairly neutral on Monty McNair right now. I think clearly this offseason was by far the best three months or, or so of his tenure with the Kings. So that's encouraging. Um, I just need to see that that translate into wins on the floor, because if, if you're not winning, I don't care how cool the moves are or whatever, you have to win. So win this season, win 38, 39, 40 games, make the plan. And then I think we can have those conversations. Tony, are you going to give Monty a forever contract when we, when we make the, uh, the, uh, the playing game? Uh, maybe if we make the play-in game, I don't know. I, I wouldn't right now, though. I would I would extend Monty a year if he would be a comfortable with something like that today. Uh, but today I wouldn't go beyond a year, and I would imagine Monty McNair is not re- taking that negotiation seriously. Like if they're talking about a contract, McNair probably wants more than just one more year. Um, but that's all I would be comfortable giving him before seeing some wins. And even then, my preference would be to go into the season how the Kings appear to be doing it right now, which is no contract extension. And we'll reevaluate once we see how his team does. Um, and if the Kings did suddenly announce some like four year agreement with Monty McNair, I would feel a little bit weird about that because uh, you can probably tell McNair has been asking for this. And you can probably tell that the Kings so far have said no. And to have them kind of switch gears suddenly and offer to him, it makes me think that even the Kings were not completely sure that this is what they should be doing. So I'd, I'd like to just go into the season right now and see how things play out and pick it up in the offseason. Because at this point right now, it is not clear to me that the Kings are confident in him by nature of them not extending at this point. And obviously we have no idea if this team is going to actually be good enough to make the play in. So uh, from the fans perspective, which is the one that we kind of carry here, I, I say no extension right now until we see some wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm always, I mean, to me, it's always been that Vivek has always waited a season or two too long to fire someone important in their in their position. I, I think that he should have fired a Luke Walton a season earlier. I think uh, the case could be made for Vladi, obviously. I think it's just one of those things that it's constantly one of those things that he always waits a little too long to let someone go. Uh, I, I can see both sides of the coin. Like, oh yeah, you know, he's he's completely remade the roster. You allowed him to make a decision at the number four pick. You're allowing him to make all these franchise-altering moves. You should just extend the guy. Um, I can also see the perspective of, you know, right now they're playing with house money. If they make the playoffs, they give them two or three more years. If 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 it doesn't work well, I think they've got it lined up pretty perfectly that they just don't extend his contract. They just say, you know, oh, he wanted to spend more time with his family or he had other opportunities that he wanted to pursue. And they've got Wes Wilcox waiting in the wings. Mike Brown cited Wes Wilcox as one of those guys that helped get his deal done. Wes Wilcox was an assistant coach in Cleveland. He was a director of player personnel in Cleveland. It's one of those things that I think they know that I don't think there would there'll be the same search as there was last time for Monty. I think it would very well be that we're just promoting Wes into the, the head role here. 
it it's set up to where they can continue to keep Mike Brown's contract and we don't have to worry about, oh, well, the coach and the GM have never been on the same wavelength. Guess what, baby? Now they are. And and they'll they'll hype up Wes Wilcox as being, you know, he's the guy that got the the Mike Brown deal deal done. And and that'll kind of be that, you know, it's a natural fit. There's no more concern about the deal that Mike Brown got and Monty can kick cans down the road. Jerry, are you a are you one of those people that uh, that that get anxious over him not being extended with this being the last year of his deal? Are you okay with the fact that the Kings are playing this out and waiting to see what happens? Oh, I'm okay with it uh, for sure. I mean, and I would have been okay that they decided they felt like they needed to because you know it's one of those things. Uh, if they decided they didn't want him back, then obviously they, we've seen them pay coaches a lot of money to go away <laughs> and, and general managers and different things. But, but no, I, I, I like I said, I, I'm very comfortable with uh, seeing how this plays out. And uh, of course I've made my point clear many times that probably nobody agrees with. And I don't really care at this stage, but uh, if, if the, you know, I've always said the biggest mistake this franchise has made in since Vivek has, has run the team, is not hiring a proven winner at the general manager position. And, and, and I know for a fact you can do that. These guys are out, you know, you know the James Joneses or the Sam Prestes. So all those guys, different guys, are available because they're not making the money that you think they are. And, and uh, at some point, you know, coaches are, but uh, and in many cases, general managers aren't until they've really – done a tremendous amount of things or anyway so so uh, but but i think there's a lot of reasons why that's never been done uh, and uh, and uh but that's to me that's what i would do if i was a zillionaire and owned a basketball franchise and my first hire would be i'd go after you know if i'm gonna overpay somebody i'd be the first guy i'd overpay somebody to run my damn franchise that's proven he could run one jerry and then let him let him screw it up however he wants to for two or three years. So not Pete <laughs> D'Alessandro. Pete, Pete would not have been my guy. No. I will say the, the quickest way for the Kings to get me to pass away from a coronary is to hire Sam Presti. The, the amount of uh, heart, my heart would skip so many beats. It just wouldn't beat again. And I'd, I'd pass out right there on the spot. So they'd get one nag out of their ear right away. If they hired Sam Presti. I, I fully endorse that move too, by the way. So yeah. anytime you talk about Sam Pressy, Jerry, it gets, it gets my heart racing a little bit. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know, obviously there, there are guys out there, other guys, uh, but, and, and, and nothing gets Wes Wilcox. I mean, but I'm just saying it's like sure. what I've said several times is several hirings ago. Yeah. Is, <laughs> uh, that, that would be my first first thought get somebody who's has a track record and he's been the decision maker you know not somebody that's been around a decision maker and i understand that's okay it's like assistant coaches you're always taking a risk can the guy uh, be a step up to it because uh, you don't know until you till you see him in action but but uh but i i just like to say that's just my rant on that is that to me that's the most important position with fans it's always the coach uh, but but to me, Pat Riley is more important than Eric Spolstra. I'll tell you right friggin' now. Okay. Sure. Anybody wants to argue that, just come on down to the Reynolds estate. And I'll <laughs> argue with you. <laughs> 
Jerry, please don't fight. Our, please don't fight our listeners. <laughs> no, I, it won't go well for them, and we're no, going to have to explain it. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I love our, our. No, I love because they're probably right more than I am. But that's just one thing I really <laughs> truly believe. I just, I just do. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so this is the uh, this is the last one we're going to cover today. It was the first one written, and and I I saved it for last because I, I think it is the most important question of the off season so far, and that's. Did the Kings do enough this offseason? Okay, so, uh, obviously, he, he, he framed it from the perspective of to make the playoffs. But you guys can take this any way you want to. Did the Kings do enough this offseason? Well, if the question is, did they do enough to make the playoffs top eight? I would say no. I don't. I mean, and that's not necessarily, and that isn't necessarily an indictment to me of Monty or the team. I think it's more of a credit to the top eight teams in the West that if healthy, and and, and health sure. is is the can change everything. But uh, you know, I, I I think if everybody's healthy, playing at their best, the Kings aren't one of the top eight. So on that basis, I guess they didn't do enough. Tim, what about you? It's going to shock everyone here, but I'm going to be slightly negative. Uh, so if the question is, did the Kings do enough to make the play in playoffs? No, I don't think they have a realistic shot at the playoffs this year. Can it happen? Can they get to the play in and win a couple of games? I think it can. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I don't think they're close. Um, if I can break down the Kings offseason really, really harshly from a, from a talent perspective, from a player talent perspective, we added a rookie and two fringe starter quality role player, you know, good six men, however you want to phrase them, guys. We added that, and of course, Mike Brown, to a 30-win team. So, and we can we can talk about were the Kings a 30-win team last year? You know, Sabonis for the full season. Fox was injured. He was sick. Every team experiences those sorts of trials every year. The Kings won 30 games last year. That is the fact of last year. So to take us from a 30-win team to a 45-win team, are Keegan Murray, Kevin Herter, Malik Monk, and Mike Brown enough? No. Um, to take us to a 42-win team, I don't think so. Can it get us to the play-in? I think so. I think this is a play-in caliber team. Um, there are, I think realistically there are 11 teams competing for 10 play-in spots or play up playoff slash play-in spots. We have to be better than either the Blazers, the Lakers, or the Clippers are kind of the three teams I'm targeting in my mind. We can be better than one of those teams. I think especially the Lakers and Blazers are particularly vulnerable there. So I don't think the Kings did enough to make the playoffs. I also don't think the playoffs are a particularly realistic goal for a 30 win team to make that 12, 15 game jump, unless you're getting in through the plan tournament, which is kind of a different path than we've ever seen before. So um, did they do enough to, um, to extend Monty McNair? That's up in the air for me. We'll see. Did they do enough to prove De'Aaron Fox as the number one guy on a team? I think we have to wait and see. So there, there's just a lot of waiting and seeing with this team. I think they had a good off season. I think nationally they recognize that. But we have to see if that's going to be enough for the plan. I, I think it's possible, but certainly not guaranteed. Tony, what about you? Did they do enough to, to make the playoffs? Playoffs, no. And I don't know how anyone can can say yes. Like you can you can be hopeful. You can say, I hope they did enough. They might have done enough, but I don't know how anyone could say with certainty that, like, yes, this is a top eight team in the West, with just looking at the the uh, conference objectively. So no, they they haven't done they have not done enough to make the playoffs. To give Monty Bonaire a bit of a pass, I guess, I'm not sure what he could have realistically done to make me say, oh, this is a top eight team in the West. From where they were coming from to where they needed to get to, to be a top eight team in the Western Conference, for sure. I'm not sure a move out there really existed to, to accomplish that goal. 
Um, so they'll have to go in through the play-in. And I would say on the flip side, if, if they didn't do enough to make the play-in. So if this team is 11 or worse, then it's, I mean, it's over for McNair. It's over for Fox in my mind. It might even be over for Sabonis in the sense that maybe you need to trade him now that you're going into a contract year for him and you you weren't even good enough to, to get top 10 in a Western conference that is strong at the top, but at the bottom, it's actually pretty weak. I know Tim sort of listed off the teams they're competing with. This is a great opportunity to make the play in. If you can't make the play in now with the moves you've made, the roster you have, the young guys who are in theory getting better, then it's then it's time to kind of start start over in my mind, which which would be unfortunate. And I, I, to me, it's like 50, 50, they, they, they could make it. They could not. It's a shitty answer for this question, but I don't know how anyone could answer it with any, any type of certainty. So, so that's a no for the playoffs for sure. And a hopeful maybe for the, for the play in. Jerry mentioned this a little bit when we were talking about McNair getting his contract extension that like, if he makes the play in, he'll probably get it. But if they don't, then, then he probably won't. Do you guys think that, that this franchise is after after making a move like trading for a Sabonis, getting rid of a very popular player in Halliburton. Do you guys really think that if the play-in, which is already a, a fairly low bar, if that if if it doesn't happen this season, this particular season, with one more season in Sabonis's contract, with another season of flipping assets or whatever else, that this is the year that the Kings will finally decide? And, I, and I'm a guy who's a tank guy. But like, do you really think this is the year that they blow it up if things don't go well? If if they only if they only win ten more games, and 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 it's they're two games out of the play-in, uh, if that ten-game improvement isn't enough to make the play-in or win a game in the play-in spot, that you think that that there's a big red button on the counter or that Vivek finally just punches down. And, all right, it's time to give Will his due. We're 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 blowing this shit all the way to hell, uh, or or or. or is this one of those things that like they might just go run it back one more season? We've got one more season of Sabonis, got one more season of Fox. We're gonna we're gonna go get one other guy that, that somebody gives a shit about, and we're gonna we're gonna pull it back for for one last ride, baby. And do you guys really think this is the year that, that they blow it up, or do you think that there might be another year or two left of this, Jerry? Well, 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 bless your little heart. I I know bless you. You'd like to lead that tank commander force, but. Uh, uh, you know, and, and not saying you're wrong at all, but, but here's what I will say. That ain't right. going to happen. I agree. Uh, you know, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. No, it'll be like, well, we only missed it by one yeah. game and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And if we trade Joe Fadoozle for Elmer Fudd and we get, you know, uh, this guy or that guy, but the point being is you are right. Uh, and I think Will Griffith wants to, if in fact they can't make the play in <laughs> in a, a week week west at the bottom and and you are correct that they will say damn we this this crap we can't keep doing this and my answer will be i can't speak for anybody but my opinion is no they won't i jerry i completely agree i, I just i hear tony say this and i hear tim kind of alluding to this as well and I feel like I'm the one taking crazy pills because I just feel like the most that they do, if, if if they win 38 games this year, the most they do is, all right, Monty McNair is not coming back. Wes Wilcox is now the head guy. And we move on as if nothing happened. Like, oh, yeah, were we disappointed? Sure. Let's go out and sign one more sixth-man quality guy. And we're winning 50 games next year, baby. Everybody get on the hype train. I really do not think that the Kings will ever consider dropping to a place where I'll be happy. 
And I certainly don't think it'll be because they missed the play in by a couple, even if they win 30 games next year, I don't think it'll convince them to, to get anywhere close to a tank. I think they'll just keep rolling through. I think they'll just keep doing the same thing that they've been doing. I'm curious, Tony, Tim, talk me down off the ledge a little bit here. Uh, Well, I think so backing up just a hair, I don't think there's a way that the Kings will win 38 games and miss the plan. I don't feel like those are, those are two thoughts that can kind of go together. You, you need 34, 35 wins to make the plan. But if the Kings miss the plan, like I think that's kind of the scenario we're all envisioning. They finish 11th or 12th in the West and things did not go well. I don't think to your point, Will, I don't think they will ever tank Oklahoma city style or whatever team we want to bring up the Sixers. I, I, I do think there will be some significant adjustments made to the organization. Uh, obviously, Monty, I think, will be gone. Um, Mike Brown could be gone. I think they could just ditch that plan altogether. I think De'Aaron Fox would be gone. The thing is, the Kings can theoretically essentially do the opposite of what they did last trade deadline. They could trade Fox or Sabonis or whoever for good young talent, right? I know Fox isn't old, Sabonis isn't old, but these also aren't guys on the rookie contract. So you do the opposite of that. You trade your Sabonis for a Tyrese Halliburton-esque player. I don't know who that is right now. I don't know who that guy would be, but I would think that's the kind of reset they would be looking at with their new GM is, hey, let's bring a young, exciting team on the floor and go from there. To your point, the Kings, honestly, they're so far down the path of trying to win now, and they have been for the nine years or ten years, however long Vivek's been in charge, that if they tank, they've already lost part of a generation of fans. And if they go four years without winning, I don't know what this fan looks fan base looks like in four years. I don't know if any of us are around in four years, to be honest, except Will. Will will have the one, if, if they hardcore tank, Will will be happy, and the rest of us will be, have moved on. Um yeah, I think they're just going to do a, a hard young reset as opposed to a rebuild. That's how they would phrase it, at least. Uh, I, w- I will add, Tony, before I get to you. If they hire Sam Presti like Jerry has recommended and they just decide we're, we're punching that red button, the, the big red will button is getting hit. Um, yeah, I will absolutely be here in four years because I can talk about that for a while. That being said, I don't, I don't see a universe in which they, they take a look after trading Tyrese Halberton last season one season later, they're at the deadline going, now what young guard can we get for Demonis Sabonis? <laughs> like, I, I just don't, even, even if it's Fox, I don't think they'd look at Fox and go, it's over. And what can, what young piece can we get for Fox? I, I don't, I just don't see a world where regardless of the GM that they hire, regardless of whatever, I don't see Mike Brown getting let go one year into his contract. And I certainly don't see them trading either of these two big guys, uh, you know, contract wise on their team. I, I, I can only ever see them going, well, just a little reset, just somebody just, we just need to hire one guy with a little bit of a different mindset and we're, we're in the playoffs. I, I just, and I certainly don't see it. Even if they only win 34 games, I think they'll chalk it up to, Hey, somebody got injured this year. Hey, somebody got COVID this year. We're going to, we're going to try it again next year. And it, Rinse and repeat until we're all dead. Until every single one of us is 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 worm food. Tony, go ahead. I think I'm I'm kind of leaning Tim's direction here. I don't think a, a full tank is going to be in the cards for this team, but I do think you can. We've said it on this podcast many times: is that you can charge a fan base, you can get people excited, you can get people happy with a fun, exciting young team where the expectations aren't playoffs, but they also aren't you know we're winning 19 games. 
So and and it's it would be pretty fairly easy to roll over Fox and roll over Sabonis into younger players where you have Davion Mitchell who's young and exciting at point guard. You have Keegan Murray who's young and exciting. In theory, if this goes poorly next year, you will add another top ten pick to that roster. So now you've you can have a young team that is full of exciting players that this fan base would be excited to watch. I, I believe that to be true, even though the Kings haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. I think there are, you can make a young, talented team that would excite people like myself and the Kings Herald who write about this thing. If this was a team like, uh, what's a good equivalent? Um, I guess Oklahoma City just lost, lost Chet. But if you have you know that, that accumulation of really exciting young players, you don't need to tank all the way. And that's the direction I, I do think they go in if they don't make the play-in. Maybe, I guess the other alternative route is they don't make the play-in. Monty McNair is gone. New GM comes in and he makes a trade to the equivalent of Sabonis where you actually get another all-star level player to add to this core. That is a win-now direction I would accept, but I think it needs to be one or the other. It has to be you're really going all-in and you're making a, a Rudy Gobert-like trade where you're you're really unloading to go all in on Sabonis, Fox, another all-star who is actually better than those two players. I think that's the level of player you'd have to be, like a like a Donovan Mitchell type where you're, you're bringing in a new number one in addition to what you have, or you do kind of Tim's route where it's not a full 76er-style rebuild. It's more of a we're retooling younger. Um, and those are the kind of the directions I look at. I've certainly yelled about every type of youth movement possible yeah. as every step of the way that they've moved further and further into the win now yeah. mode. I said, well, we can still do it. Wait, we, we can do it this way. And I've tried <laughs> to bargain with the devil a million times with it and it hasn't worked. But I, I will say, Tony, to your point that if the Kings win, say they win 30 games next year, say it's Fox and it's a bonus and they win 30 games and they do get a top 10 pick somewhere in there. Why wouldn't ownership, why wouldn't whoever's the manager go, well, we could just have this top 10 guy, which we would have had anyways, instead of trading Fox and, and Sabonis or Fox or Sabonis, we could just add this top 10 talent with Fox and Sabonis, continue the hype train going forward and hope that something happens and lightning strikes twice and we're able to make the playoffs next year. Well, why would they decide for the first time in their lives to go the opposite way rather than just push forward with the guys that they have in their contract here? Wouldn't it be easier for the Kings the path of least resistance in my mind, which is the one that they've always taken is just, well, we still have Fox. We still have Sabonis. We still have a top 10 pick. We still have Keegan Murray. We still have Davion Mitchell. Now this is the team that makes the playoffs. I think this fan base is pretty resilient. I think if you lose Sabonis for nothing after giving up Tyrese Halliburton, you have reached a new low for this fan base. And I think that, I think the Sabonis contract is the timeline ultimately. And you, you can't roll it. Maybe you extend some bonus and then you extend what you're able to do, but man, you can't lose him for nothing. I, th I think you lose, you lose me probably, to be honest, if, if that's where this goes, <laughs> I don't know if I survive that. I mean, I think you hit on, I mean, you answered your question. I, I don't think, you know, there's not going to be any massive, you know, change, uh, you know, and, and, and I think you're right. It's like, well, we won 34 games. That's four games better. Uh, we didn't make the play in, but we almost did. We got a good draft pick. Uh, you know, boy, if it wasn't for two guys getting the flu there middle of the year, uh, you know, geez, or, or we had those back-to-backs that really took the wind out of our sails or, or the preseason, we, we, we had a bad airplane trip. You know, I mean, it, I, I, I just about spit up every time I start hearing some of that stuff. Uh, you know, every team has that crap. 
Yeah. And uh, as Tim pointed <laughs> out, I know it's, it's, it's simple. It's how many games yeah. can you win? And if they don't get in the, at least the play in, uh, I think the fan base is really, and I, I probably hear it more than you guys do. And uh, I mean, they're on the edge. Uh, you know, it, it could be, you know, really, really serious stuff here in, in Kingsland, I think, if, if this team doesn't make significant improvement. And, and I don't know if they can improve enough to, they won't improve enough to satisfy everybody. But, but I do think if they could make the play in and win 30, seven games and be fun to watch and Keegan uh, certainly looks like a rookie and Mike Brown has an impact and all that sort of thing. I, I think you could probably, probably uh, roll it over, you know, uh, uh, but uh, go from 30 to yeah. 33 and, you know, and basically come up with a hundred reasons why you, sh you probably were 10 games better. Uh, I think is you're, you're not, that that ship sailed that ship has sailed no i hate arguing the opposite side of this guys i i will forever be the tank guy i just i look at the franchise and i look at the management and i look at the ownership and i'm like this this ain't ever gonna happen uh, unless i somehow win the billion dollar lottery and i and i get a chance at, at at majority ownership that ship is that ship is sailing a little bit there well, well, you know, I mean, and we argue about this a little, and I mean, I think you make great points. And I mean, yeah. I've always said if you could, if you could tank and tank for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sure. or, or Kim Olajuwon, I get that. Uh, you know, tanking for Jabari Smith or somebody, I I don't get. Sure. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I or Paolo Vanchero for that matter. We'll see. Sure. But I think you know when there's that guy now. Uh, Wim Banyama or whatever, maybe he is that guy. I, I don't, I don't know. He is to me. <laughs> well, I know he is to you, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, uh, I just, uh, I, I just don't see LeBron walking through that door uh, in the next year or two, but maybe that's the guy, you know, but like I say, the, the truth is the guys that have been franchise changers, you know, a debt of and, and Jokic, uh, they were there for anybody. Sure. Yeah, hundred percent. You didn't have you didn't have you didn't have tank for them. You just had to take them. <laughs> okay, so we're ending this on a low note. Now I'm frustrated uh, at, at a future that'll never be uh, on both sides of this equation here. Uh, Tony, I'm gonna I'm gonna force you now to uh, go to our Patreon question of the day. Take it away. It's all yours. Thanks, Will. Um, on every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our Kings Herald patrons. Uh, you can. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash kingsherald. We ask one question on the main show here. Any questions that don't get answered get uh, sent to our pool of questions for our Patreon-exclusive Q&A that we record once a month where all the extra questions get thrown in. So you ask Jerry anything, and we make him answer. Uh, in the spirit of that, <laughs> that question, I'm going to ask him one that I know Jerry's not going to care about, but I, I, feel, uh, I feel like I need to ask it anyway. Uh, this question comes from Mike's tweeting account, and I, I'm not even sure if Jerry will know what all the words in this question mean, but we'll find out. Uh, Mike asks, how much stock does Jerry take in NBA 2K ratings? Uh, very little. Uh, I don't really know much about it. You know, I, <laughs> I, I will say this, that I do take stock in the gambler's ratings. 
uh, you know, in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't gamble. I mean, I it's, uh, I have enough bad habits and flaws. I don't need another one. But uh, yeah, I, the reason I do over the years, I have followed it, and they're depressingly right, uh, especially when the Kings are concerned, where I'm. It tend to be overly optimistic, and I won't apologize for that because I do want to see them do do well, and I tend to to find reasons to give them six, eight more wins than they they usually get. Uh, but the but the Vegas line, you know, those are those are professional professionals, <laughs> and uh, yeah. so so I, I that's who I pay attention to. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, this the NBA 2K ratings come out around this time every year and everyone gets upset, players included. I know Malik Monk thought he should have been rated higher than a 75. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other players, or what was it, 73, whatever it was. I'm sure a lot of uh, other players weren't too happy about them. But uh, Tim, do, does NBA 2K ratings mean anything to you? Not a thing. Uh, they are equivalent to, I don't know, random people tweeting me about how the Kings should trade this player for that person which is my job i'm supposed to do the fake trades not anyone else so no they mean nothing to me a lot of people are always surprised that i don't play sports video games but i don't i play video games and i'm a sports person and i do not enjoy sports video games so i just play warzone and that is all i play so uh yeah they, they mean nothing to me and i i understand players getting upset i i would feel personally attacked if there was like a, a king's herald ranking and i i averaged like a 64 or something like that i'd be upset too but uh, from a fan base perspective, I don't really understand the getting upset over it. Also, NBA 2K is bad. But Will, how do you do NBA 2K ratings mean anything to you? The only thing that they mean to me is that every year around this time, I'm like licking my chops and rubbing my hands together, waiting for somebody to get mad about it. Because every year this, there's a the same guy, Ronnie, the guy who releases all this stuff gets absolutely dunked on by players yeah. <laughs> cussing him out they're telling him they're telling him all sorts of terrible things about his life or his family and places he should go and places he should put himself and 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 all because uh, he somebody was a 75 instead of a 73 as if that impacts anything in their life but like Kevin Durant was somebody who was uh, he was upset that he was ranked 97. He should have been. Why isn't he in 99? Well, Michael Jordan was the only 99, I think, ranked on that game. Like if, if somebody like a Wilt Chamberlain or a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his prime was not ranked 99. Kevin, who the hell cares? You're coming off of the last two seasons. You've played half your games. Your Achilles is 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 is, is, is thin as a shoelace. Like there's 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 no reason to care about this. But it. It makes me happy that somebody's upset and somebody's angry and I didn't cause it and they're not mad at me. So I get it. I get some entertainment value out of it. Any other value out of it is is asinine. You should only enjoy it for the drama. No other reason than that. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, and that and that's it. You know, it's for entertainment, and that's and yeah. and to some level, it entertains people like Will. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, the, I still won't buy their product. <laughs> the, the players, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, Jerry, we're going over to you now for the for the Reynolds wrap up. Well, the the only thing I've, I was just thinking of, I'm starting to watch it uh, NFL, and and you know it's always amazing to me. It's like the NBA because it gets me thinking about the NBA when the NFL season starts because you know you once you get into watching the games, you realize that they they never end, and basically uh, each team will have three or four chances to win in the last two minutes, it seems, you know, just, I mean, it's just remarkable. 
and, and that's why, you know, they always talk about, you know, crunch time. And I've always said there is a crunch time in all sports. And that's why the Kings have not won a high percentage of their games because they're not very good in crunch time. And so if the Kings are going to get better, uh, that's what I, it's called. And I know that nobody ever believes me, but they have to get better at playing the half court offense down the stretch and half court defense. It ain't transition. It ain't uh, anything else. It's like, Hey, we watched the, the best transition teams in the league play for a championship and, and who won? It came down to playing half-court basketball, getting tough baskets when it counted. And so I don't want to hear about, boy, they got to run more. Well, run your ass to the, to the bathroom. You know, it, it's go, you're, to win, you're going to have to play ugly basketball, five-on-five, five, physical, down the stretch of the game just like they do in the NFL and it always comes down to the damn kickers. The guy they respect the least helps them win the game. So anyway, I got that all off my chest. I feel better now. I don't know if anybody agrees, but, but, but mark my words, it will be five on five basketball at the end of games and the teams that are best at it will win the most. That's perfect. Jerry, and your, your segmenting perfect because we're going to start our uh, anything but King segment the next time we come around. Because I know there's some football to watch, and I know you and Tony are both going to want to talk about it this season. So that was that was a perfect end, a perfect wrap up, perfect Reynolds wrap up for this episode. Uh, I want to thank Tim for for coming on and answering some of these questions for us. He uh, he found a way in the end to to upset me in one way or another. I appreciate that. It wouldn't have been a Tim episode if I hadn't have found one way to get really frustrated at him about something stupid, because that's that's all anyone ever does with Tim. Uh, I want to thank Tony and Jerry for another wonderful episode. And uh, for all of our listeners, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we're heading over now to, to record a Patreon episode, uh, which will be up whenever it's up. And, uh, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Jerry Reynolds for Sacramento Electronic Supply, who has been servicing the Sacramento area's industrial electronic needs for over 75 years. Family owned and operated, Sacramento Electronics is a registered California small business that prides themselves on their customer service. Their showroom and warehouse are open to the public to browse. Whether you're looking for wire and cable, tools and testers, connectors or relays, Sacramento Electronics is open for you Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova. Or hey, visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelec.com and do it.